Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? And it actually feels okay. Not great, but it doesn't feel bad right now. That's what the weather and humidity are. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. But the next hour is all about gardening. I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing, and you've tuned into the Gestalt Gardener, which is one of the many local productions of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's all about gardening, and it's a live program. Uh, in addition to some cheesy music that a listener suggested, we're going to be talking a little bit about things that are going on you might be interested in, but mostly it's going to be about you and your garden. So sit back, folks. We're going to do a little bit of news. We're going to come back this last week. Weekend in September, the week before State Fair, and we're going to talk about nothing but gardening. It's a live program, folks. Sit back, and we're going to kick some ideas around. Hey, I tell you what, next hour or so, let's work together, see how dirty we can get. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Okie doke, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. And like I said, we're going to be talking about gardening. Hope that's what is on your mind because that's what we got going on. I brought in a couple of things to chat about. There's some events going on and and a couple of emails that, that I think you might be interested to, uh, some of you might be interested in. But again, it's a live program. So if you want to give us a call, talk about your garden, what's going on or not. Uh, maybe you heard something that's a little weird you're not sure about. Well, you know, I can throw in my weird opinion, too. But I'm going to try to keep it fact-based, experience-based, nonprofit. I don't sell anything, and I've got 40-something years as a horticulturist, and I've got uh, a lot longer than that just as a gardener, raised by gardeners, raised gardeners, worked with gardeners. And I've seen some stuff that the scientists say is just right that just doesn't fit. I've seen some things that nobody would have thought about that. So if you want to give me a call and talk about your garden, we'll keep it. We'll keep it as real as we can. It doesn't matter if it's about lawns. I get questions all the time from people say, I know you don't like grass, but uh, excuse me. I studied turf management at Mississippi State. I wrote the foreword to one of the best-selling lawn care manuals on gardening, uh, on lawns in the South. I just don't have a personal lawn because I just don't have time for it. Or I don't want to. I'd rather grow other stuff and have decks and mulch and stuff like that. Love grass. But I'm not willing to do what it takes to have a nice lawn. And people would judge me seriously if I didn't have a nice lawn. So anyway, if you want to talk about lawns or shrubs or fall vegetables or flowers or pruning trees or weird things, that treatments that you've heard of, or maybe you've got crepe myrtle bark scale, things like that. I won't say anything. We'll just talk about it. It's toll-free, one eight seven seven mpb ring If you want to give us a call, we got the lines wide open right now. Uh, I noticed I got a, an email from uh, somebody said, uh, we re- recently visited Fort Lauderdale, saw this wonderful tree. Everything, seen anything like it? What is it? Will it, will it grow here? And um, the, the what they sent was a picture of a type of eucalyptus. I think it's called rainbow eucalyptus. I got to look it up. But the bark has got every color you can imagine, greens and reds and pinks and yellows and oranges. And uh, unfortunately, it won't grow uh, even up in the, the Florida panhandle. It won't grow on the Gulf Coast because it's, it's, uh, it's a subtropical tree. But it is a pretty thing. I'm glad you got a picture of it to remind you of your trip. Fort Lauderdale. Anyway, that email just came in. I haven't had to check any others, but before we do any of that, let's go to, uh, I'm going to say, I can't see if that's Mabin or, Ma- oh, okay, no, he said, don't don't push a button yet, don't push a button, 
Yeah, no. Okay. See, Java's got all the buttons in there, and he gave me some buttons, and he won't let me push them because I always screw it up. You have to hold your horses, man. <laughs> got to hold my horses. Can I push one now? Uh, well, no, because the one person you were going to push, they actually hung up, so I don't oh. know what's going on back here. <laughs> oh, well, please call back if you want to give us a call, toll-free, mpb ring Lots of stuff going on this weekend. I might want to mention last this past week was the, the, the passing of summer, and we're into autumn now. It's one of the, the hottest, driest autumns I've ever seen. I don't think it got below 90 degrees at all last month. Supposed to be hot next month, but I'm ho- I'm keeping faith because state fair starts next week, and usually halfway through state fair, people start covered up. It starts out hot, usually ends up kind of cold, and that's next week we could have. So, by the way, if you're interested in showing off some potted plants, you got a nice looking little potted plant you're 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 pleased with. Clean it up, dust off the leaves, pull the lizards and stuff off the potted soil, clean up the pot, take it down to the fairgrounds. Uh, the State Fair always has a flower show put on by the Gardeners of Jackson. It used to be the Men's Garden Club. And uh, if you take a plant in there anytime Tuesday afternoon, the day before the fair starts, uh, they, they, they give ribbons. And for every ribbon, there's like a $1 or 2 or $3 prize. And um, anyway, you have to leave it there during the fair because people come by at the trademark, look at your plants. But that's free to enter. And it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's a good way to introduce kids or something. Anyway, t- take your plant down to the to the fairgrounds, to the trademark, next Tuesday afternoon, and uh, take it from there. Okay, let's slide up to South Haven and talk with John. John, thank you for calling in. What's up this morning? Felder, I, I really, honestly, Uh-oh. I don't know what's going on because John just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> you missed. Oh, I get it. I get it. Felder was cheerful. And you're messing with me. There we go. Okay, John, call back. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I do. I did make some notes about some things that are going on this week. I think that there's some some uh, events that you might be interested in, um, including this weekend. There's going to be a uh, a plant sale, an heirloom pass along plant sale in Jackson on Lakeland Drive, right off the interstate. They have this thing called the Wells Fest, and it's this Saturday. And if you're interested in swinging by, my friend Loy Moncrief, he's been growing plants and rooting plants and dividing plants. He always has a lot of great, great old-fashioned pass-along heirloom-type plants, and uh, he'll be glad to share some of those with you. Anyway, that's Saturday, September 20th, huge plant sale, Wells Fest on Lakeland Drive. Uh, there's also going to be a Monarch Festival called Butterflies in the Pass. It's going to be down in uh, Pass Christiane, the War Memorial Park, Saturday from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. That's going to be a lot of fun. I saw a bunch of butterflies at the uh, up in Hernando last week. I went to the uh, to the uh, DeSoto County Extension, kind of an open house thing, so a lot of my MPB friends, people I'd talked with before, emailed before, never met, and uh, they've got one of the coolest little demonstration gardens of any Master Gardener County in the state. And uh, so just south, uh, less than uh, maybe quarter mile at the most south of, of the of the uh, the square downtown Hernando. They're on Highway 51. Anyway, swing by and take a look at it. It's a great little garden. Got some good ideas for butterfly plants. And also this summer, uh, this Sunday, German Festival of the Catholic Church in Gluckstadt. I know it's not a gardening thing, but I got a personal uh, uh, warm spot for good food, uh, Wiener schnitzel, that sort of stuff, beer, live German oompa music, lots of good cheer. Hope to see some of y'all there. Now, now Felder, we're gonna we're gonna try this again, okay? Because look, I got my hands in the air. I'm not touching anything, and I'm I'm gonna push 
Paul in. So we're going to see if we can get Paul on the on the line. Is this Paul? Are you with us? I am here. All right. Where are you anyway? I'm good. How are you today? I'm fine. Where are you? Oh, I'm sorry. So so. So so. Okay. Yes, sir. That's you know I, that's a, one of the prettiest little drives. When I'm driving down to to uh, to Laurel, I usually cut across and go through that winding road through So So. It's a pretty drive this time of year. I'm actually on it right now. <laughs> Hands free. I hope. What's up, man? Uh, I've got a paratree that's probably 25 or 30 feet tall, mm-hmm. and I also have a apricot tree that's about eight years old. It finally started putting out fruit, but it's about 12 feet tall. Can I prune them back and not destroy them? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, most of the time when when people set when commercial people set fruit trees out, the day they put it in the ground, they cut it off at knee high to make it bush out low, and then the tall stuff once a year they go through and they just cut out the tall stuff. I wouldn't prune them hard though this year, Paul, because there go all your all your fruit for next year. What what you might want to do is thin out the tall stuff and leave some of it unpruned, and then as soon as you get through picking the fruit next year then prune that stuff. But you can thin out the tall stuff and the clutter stuff and leave some of it unpruned, no problem at all. Okay, one, two more questions. One, one statement and one more question. Uh, I heard the broadcast about the bacteria that gets on the power trees and it's too many limbs. Yeah. Airflow, so I, take, I took care of that problem and it's down well. Good. But they, they, I'm talking they're just so tall, so if yeah. I cut them all back, I just won't get any fruit, right? Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. You won't get any. And so uh, again, you know, you, you may not need to. You know, you, if if you know how sometimes they prune trees that are growing right up on the power lines, they cut the middle part and leave the rest of it uh, growing around right. it. You can right. do some of that. You know, you can do half and half is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, that bacteria, the the fire blight, it, it's something you got to treat every year because it's spread from from wild pears to your pears by bees when they bloom. So you have to treat it while they're blooming, pretty much every year. What do you treat it with? Well, they have this stuff called fire blight spray, and it's uh, it's streptomycin. It's what we use. It's a bacteriocide. doesn't hurt the bees or anything, but the trick is you have to spray it once or twice when the trees are in full bloom because it's a protective film over the flowers, keep the bees from spreading the infection. It's sort of like putting a raincoat on the flowers, but it's just called fire blight spray. And, and okay. you, it, it only works if you spray it while the trees are in bloom once or twice. Okay, because I never like to spray it when they bloom because I feel like you're going to kill the bees. Well, if you're spraying insecticide, it will, but this is not an insecticide. This, this is perfectly fine, and this, this it doesn't, doesn't bother them at all. But uh, by the way, if you're going to do any pruning, I'd wait another month or so because there's yellow jackets out there right now, and right. it's hot. And it's hot. Okay. Okay, good yeah. luck, man. Thank you. Appreciate your call, Paul. All righty. That was fun. It worked, too. Can I push another button here? Uh, Dennis from Scott Hill. Hey, Dennis, good morning. Where's Scott Hill, Tennessee? Uh, it's uh, about 30 minutes south of Parsons. <laughs> okay, now where's that? <laughs> uh, about an hour east of Jackson. Tennessee. Okay, so so, so, so you're, you're on the other side of, of Jackson from Memphis. Uh, well, if you, uh, if you draw a straight line between Nashville and Memphis, I'm yeah. right in the center. Okay, I got you. Well, what you got going on today? What's up, man? I'd like to get your take on uh, erosion control. So I've got a, a decorative pond um, with a covered bridge over it. Yeah. And I've got a big hillside behind it. And uh, I'd like to cover that with something decorative, like some kind of ivy or something like that that's low maintenance 
Yeah. But I don't have to get up there with a weed whacker all the time. Yeah, well, uh, by the way, are you from Michigan or where? Well, I'm from Wisconsin. Okay, Wisconsin. I knew it. I knew it. Here, here's the deal. There is no no maintenance here in the South because we have weeds that, that, that Northerners and Midwesterners never seen before. So whatever you put out there, you're going to have to go out from time to time and do a little weeding because trees drop, uh, birds drop, tree seeds and all that. But uh, ivy needs to be in the shade. You know, it'll grow in the sun up north, but it really doesn't like a lot of full sun here. You know, what I would recommend, uh, Dennis, instead, well, think about doing, uh, you know, when you're going up a mountain, how the, the rows switch back, they go up and curve, and, you know, up, they switch back up a mountain? Yes, sir. Do, uh, do a, a, a sort of a, a, a ditch like that. Doesn't have to be wide. I mean, it doesn't have to be deep, but it could be two or three feet wide, but it sort of terrace it so that water will, will, will hit those and run to one side or the other. In other words, divert the water. And slow it down, and then you can plant stuff in between those as you get around to it. You could plant uh, some 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 ivy uh, in between two. You could plant some low shrubs. You could plant some some perennials. The trick is you have to have something that's evergreen because most of our rain is in the winter and spring, and the trees the plants need to to have leaves then and matted roots. And there's a handful of other plants. Uh, if you can can if you can think about it, shoot me an email. I'll list you. I'll send you a list of some really easy plants, but in the in the big picture, even if it's a small hill, uh, Dennis, if you'll do a little zigzag uh, drainage thing that throws water to one side and then the other, maybe even make it a path. You know, you could pack it down or you could put bricks or flagstone or, or, or mulch or whatever. In other words, just make it where it's not a straight slope down there. That'll do more than any kind of plant, and the plants will do better, too. I got you. I, I appreciate your your take on this yeah and, uh, and it's re- easier than you think if you do it in the winter time when the ground is soft and it's not so hot okay hey sh- shoot me an email i mean th- this is a real common frustration and there's a lot of good solutions but uh they always involve diverting water or slowing it down or a combination of the two and we can do that uh now i've, I've got a a follow-up question with that also uh-huh. uh, if you got the time uh, sure with this pond the, uh, the ground is a lot more like uh, the soil is more sandy and clay. Um, so you've got that suspended in the pond, and you don't get a good clear clear with the pond. Yeah, yeah. Well, this uh, this by, by slowing the water down, th- that'll help a lot. And then use a ground cover as sort of a filtration system. Now, you, you up north, you have, you know what Pachysandra is? Uh, no. Well, it's a it's a ground cover up north. It won't grow really well for us, but down here we have monkey grass. Monkey grass has a real dense mass together, and it's a good filter for for stuff. And so on the bottom tier, you know, plant you some. Uh, it, it it goes. It's called liriope or liriope, but here we just call it monkey grass. It's easy to get started, and it's a good filter. And then if you'll put shredded bark mulch around it, bark mulch locks into place. It doesn't wash away like other stuff. And the the bark will, will sort of mat together and slow the water and filter some of the silt out, too. Okay. Shoot me an email, Dennis. We'll take it from there, man. I definitely will. I thank you very much. Okay, by the way, I've been to Wisconsin before. Go Bucky! <laughs> See, man. Okay, horticulture's fell to rushing. Uh, if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. There's a few other events coming up, including a couple I'm going to be at a, well, a couple next weekend I think a lot of you would be interested in. But we're going to take a real quick break, a very short break, and come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi 
public broadcasting. Got the whole team in there of of uh, Java and Kevin and me, and we're just waiting to talk with you about gardening. So stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. Uh, I mentioned that there's going to be a, a, a pass along plant sale at the Wells Fest on Saturday uh, down at, at uh, uh, just on Lakeland Drive, close to the interstate, right, right by the Agriculture Museum. It's a lot of fun. Lloyd Moncrief, I'm going to swing by there. I always uh, enjoy finding uh, some of the, the unusual heirlooms that Lloyd comes up with. But next week is going to be a couple of really fun things that, that I'm looking forward to. I'm giving a presentation at the Max. In Meridian. If you haven't been to the Max, it is an unbelievable cultural museum. Unbelievable. It's right by the train station. And I'm going to give a, a presentation on wacky container gardens for winter. Herbs and flowers and vegetables and shrubs and all sorts of stuff grown in all sorts of stuff. Um, it's going to be uh, container gardens for winter. And it's going to be from 9 to 11. And if you bring a ready-to-grow plant in a potter bag, we'll do a little informal plant swap too. And by the way, right beside the Max uh, at the Meridian Train Depot Park, the uh, Mississippi Master Gardeners from uh, East Mississippi Master Gardeners can have a plant sale, eight till one. It's going to be right next door. So between the farmer's market and the Master Gardeners plant sale and, and my presentation on on uh, growing all sorts of stuff for wintertime in all sorts of containers, starts at nine o'clock to 11 o'clock. Hope to see some of y'all there. And then uh, a couple of weeks after that, October 18th and 19th, there's going to be a new event. It's going to be in Poplarville called the Sweet Mississippi Tea Festival. Uh, my, my old friends Don uh, Vanderwerken and Jeff Brown from the Pearl River Tea Company. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have my pickup truck down there with all the stuff growing on the back, and we'll sit on the back and sip tea grown in Mississippi. I've got some other things, but uh, I'd rather get back right now to doing what we're here for, and that's to talk with folks about gardening. We're going to go up to South Haven. John, you called back. Thank you, sir. How's how's it going, man? Yes, Howdy. Oh, howdy. I have a quick question. Okay. Does the pH of the soil have any significant impact on the taste of vegetables? On the taste of vegetables? I, I don't think so. Now, I study this in soils and in plant physiology. The pH of the soil, whether it's acid or acidic or uh, alkaline, affects how well it can absorb certain micronutrients. And if the plant can't absorb certain things like iron or zinc or magnesium, if it can't absorb certain kinds of micronutrients because the soil is too acidic or too alkaline, that might affect the the, uh, flavor of stuff. Uh, But that's a real stretch on that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking micronutrient type stuff. And it's not it's not hard to affect the pH of the soil anyway to get it changed by adding some lime if it's acidic. And I doubt your soil is so alkaline you need to worry about that. But does that help? Thank you much. Okay, appreciate it. Well, that was a good question. Uh, does the pH of the soil affect the flavor of vegetables and fruits and stuff? Nah. Well, it could, but n- nah. <laughs> hey, let's go to Clinton and talk with Hal. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Elder. What's up? I have a problem with my crepe myrtles. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> hello. Uh, my wife looked online, um, and we pretty well diagnosed it as uh, crepe myrtle bark scale. Yep. Uh, 
little little white bumps all over it, and the trunks and everything are black as they can be. That's it. Yeah, yep. it's real common. It just it blew up all of a sudden. How we didn't have it five years ago, didn't have it four years ago, a couple of three years ago started showing up, and now it is completely covered. Uh, a lot of the crepe myrtle trees in Madison and Risland, Oklahoma City, one of the largest collections of of crepe myrtles in the world, has got it. It's all over the place and. Uh, if you went online, you probably found out there's some stuff you could do, but it doesn't sound fun, and they say it won't work. Well, uh, what we did was uh, we I've got three three of the crepe myrtles, and we have treated one, but it is an awful lot of work. I just we just cut the branches off of it because that's impossible to deal with. Yeah. So, uh, here, let me give you a summary. I've been dealing with this pretty pretty heavily since last year. And, and and just a little background, I'm working with Texas A&M University, Mississippi State University, uh, Oklahoma State, uh, with people who are really hard and fast on this. I'm working with the Crate Myrtle Society of America. They are invested in crate myrtles. And to a person, they all say, the only thing you can do this has any kind of chance of working is to put a soil drench around the base of the tree in the spring, March, April, or May. And they all say this, March, April, or May is the time you pour it around the roots of the plant. It's absorbed in the plant and the scale that bite the plant die most of that year, but they're going to be back the next year. So it's expensive. You got to do it in the spring. Uh, the stuff you use is seriously bad for pollinators. It's been banned in Europe, but that'll help for a year or so. And other than that, there's nothing practical that we can do. And I'm, I'm not being a doom and gloom person. I'm being honest because I've got crepe myrtles, too. I work with, with historic properties with crepe myrtles. And if there was anything else I could recommend, I would use it myself. But if you want some more information about how I wrote a thing that's in user-friendly terms that summarizes the latest information with pictures. It's at my blog, not a website, but it's Felder Rushing Blog, B-L-O-G, and it, click. I got it right at the very top about crepe myrtles. It tells you everything you can do, and it's the, the latest information. But practical, not much we can do. Yeah. It's not Thank fun. That, that's, that's helpful, and... Uh, we'll give it a try. Yeah, and for what it's worth, this probably won't kill most crepe myrtles. It'll make them. It'll make you wish that they were dead because it looks so bad, and it and it makes them very unthrifty. Uh, but it seriously weakens the trees and makes them look bad. But it usually doesn't kill a healthy tree. Uh-huh. It just looks terrible. Anyway, go to Felder Rushing blog, and right. uh, and 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 take it from there. Thanks a lot. All right. Sorry about that. Whew, Hal. All right, let's go slide over to Jackson. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning, Felder. Jim Rosenblatt here. And hey. I've got a comment at the end of my tomato growing season. Yeah? Um, I'll go to the grocery store, and I'll see a tomato. It's big. It's a perfect color of red. I'll cut it to go on my tomato sandwich. It's got a nice-looking texture. But when I bite into it, it's got no flavor, and it's very bland. Yeah. And on the other hand, I'll get a little tomato from my garden. It might have a little green at the top and an X split across the top, but the flavor is twice as good as that big, nice-looking tomato. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that, too. One is the varieties you grow at home are, are, are home varieties. The ones they grow commercially 
are designed to produce uniform sized fruit that ship well. And they pick them when they're what they call the pink ripe stage. When they first start showing a little pink color, they pick them then so that they ship better. Whereas yours stay on the on the vine and they keep getting pumped with sugars. If it matures on the vine, it's going to have a lot more natural sugars. If it's picked early, they don't have time to develop. So they're they're picking them before they have a chance to develop flavor. And then there are a variety that's that's awful pretty, but yours are a whole lot better tasting. And you leave them on the vine as, as long as you get to to them before the squirrels. <laughs> uh, I'm a true optimist, uh, Felder. I planted some early girl tomatoes last week. And I just hope we have a late frost this year. Well, you know, the people who don't buy into global warming and climate change and all like that, they can be able to grow tomatoes all winter long now. <laughs> Good luck. Hey, you know, Dean, it's legal to gamble in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> My father always said he didn't understand they outlawed gambling in Mississippi, but they allowed you to farm. Yeah, I tell you something else, and this is this is not a political commentary. It's just something that that I heard somebody from from overseas mention. In Mississippi, you can walk around with a gun on your hip, but you got to put your bottle of wine in a paper bag. <laughs> thanks for your wisdom, Felder. Okay, thanks for your call, Dean. Appreciate it. All righty, y'all. Well, let's go to Melanie down in Mobile, Canada. I haven't heard you heard you heard from you in a while. How you doing, lady? Good. Good. What's uh, other up? than sweating, you know. <laughs> hey, by the way, this is going to be a. Uh, I, you know, they always have a plant swap down at the Central Pres Church down at St. Anne's and uh, Dolphin Street. Right. And uh, it is so much fun. It's real, real informal. Anyway, it's going to be October the twenty sixth. Love to meet you there. Bring a ah. plant. Ten, ten o'clock to uh, till till whenever. Anyway, Central Pres Church down at Dolphin and St. Anne's. It's a really informal and some fun people. What you got going on today? wanted to discuss the red spider lilies with you. So my red spider lilies, and I've probably got 500, <laughs> but they have not bloomed for years. And last year, as I was digging to plant something else, I dug up a big clump of them, and I was just so aggravated that they haven't bloomed that I just basically threw them across the drive into the woods. And they and, bloomed. <laughs> and they're blooming. But this year, my, they are blooming all over my yard, and I, I have never, you know, you if you put one in there, you know, five years later you got a hundred, and yeah. I just can't dig that. So is it because I dug some of them and loosened them up? Is that why they're blooming? Or is it, we had a really wet first part of the summer, you know. Yeah. I just wondered if they maybe didn't get, don't usually get enough water, or well, what's going on. They bloom the, right after it rains. Yeah, so after it yeah. Rains, a bunch more come up. Well, that's just because of, of of cell division. They need the water to do that. But uh, here's the deal: when they put up leaves in the in the late in the mid fall. Uh-huh. Mid late fall, and it looks like striped monkey grass. Those those leaves grow over the winter time. Well, they make the flower bud. You know when daffodils bloom, these make flower buds. Daffodils make flower buds after they bloom for the next year. Well, the spider lilies do the same thing. And as long as they get sunshine in the in the winter, and particularly in the springtime when they're making their buds, I have the, a profusion of leaves. Every year and yeah, every yeah. year, I have this, as you say, gambler's hope in my yeah. heart. But but again, <laughs> this they, is going to be the year. But but they they need sunshine in the in the springtime, you know. And sometimes trees leaf out a little earlier and they get shaded. But anyway, they can also be crowded. You know, a lot of times, you know, they the 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 old clumps stop blooming, but the new ones around the edge keep blooming. 
You know, so uh, so it could be that if you'll just uh, find a few, just every every year or two, just dig a few of them up and and thin them out, stick them right back in the hole, a few of them back in the hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but th- th- that's the main thing. And when they get really, really crowded, they bury each other. They don't, th- you know, there's just too much competition. And the ones around the outer edge of a clump, a lot of times, will have the elbow room to bloom. And the ones in the middle are just, just big old bulbs. So anyway, try doing that. The best time to do this, Melanie, if you know where they are still, this is a good time. It's too hot, but, you know, right now, before they start growing their roots for the winter, the second best time is after, you know, in the late, when the leaves start to die down. Well, mine are absolutely blooming profusely. I mean, okay. they well, have Ma- been for over a month now. Well, I mean, well, Mar- like I say, every time I either water or we get a rain, yeah. there Ma- they go again. Mark a few of them, put little flags or seashells or something like that out there. And as soon as they get, when you get around to it, just dig a few of them up here and there, and that'll help a lot. Okay, thank you. Okay, hope to see you at the uh, plant swap in, uh, uh-huh. later, later, later next month. I hope I can get there. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, we've got some uh, some more callers on the line, but a listener last week said, you know, Mississippi is, you know, a lot of times people in Tupelo and Jackson and Hattiesburg and on the Gulf Coast, sometimes we think we're city folks. Well, most of Mississippi, a lot of the, our listeners in Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana are country folks. And uh, somebody sent me a suggestion for a really cheerful tune. You either like it or you don't, but it's guaranteed to be an earworm. We're going to take a real quick break after this tune and come back with phone calls. We've got Ann and Bill and Don and a lot of time for you to give us a call. Again, I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. I'm trying to be a gardener, not a horticulturist. But me and Java are sitting here. And, uh, Kevin Farrell's waiting for your phone calls. We can hook you up with gardening and garden questions and garden answers. We'll be right back after this. Felder Rushing here at MPB. On the farm, it's kind of laid back, ain't much an old country boy like me came back. Early to ride, early in a sack. I thank God I'm a country boy. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm. Raising me a family and working on the farm. The days are all filled with an easy country charm. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. When the work's all done and the sun's set low Pull out the fiddle and the rosin up the bow Kids are asleep so I keep a cattle low And thank God I'm a country boy I'd play Sally Gooden all day if I could But the Lord and my wife wouldn't take it very good So I fiddle when I can, work when I should Thank God I'm a country boy Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the riddle Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle yeah, city folks driving in a black limousine A lot of sad people thinking that's a mighty keen Son, let me tell you now exactly what I mean Well, 
can play a tune on a fiddle. Taught me how to love and how to give just a little. And thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife. I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the riddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Woo! Thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah! Okie folks, welcome back, Horticulture Phil Rush. I hope you enjoy that. By the way, Java, you know, when I'm around the country, I go to California and New York and all these, and I talk about gardening, and I have to get past how I sound, you know, because I'm, I'm a Southerner, and I got kind of a thick accent. But they ask me where I live, and I say, I live on a gravel road in Fondren, Mississippi. And it sounds so romantic, but I'm talking about State Street in Jackson. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> hey, you made me. I was like, okay, where's Fondren on the gravel road? That does sound kind of. It's a little community, you know, by <laughs> by the University Medical Center. That's Fondren, but I say on gravel road. I'm talking about State Street. I think some way out in the country. Yep, Highway 51. We got plenty of stuff to talk about, folks. But we've had a couple of folks hanging on for a long time, and uh, we're going to start out up in Oxford talking with Ann. Hey, Ann. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for all your wisdom you've given me and others through the years. <laughs> Thank you. You know, there, there, there's a lot of not-so-wisdom mixed in there, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I have an evergreen clematis that I'm very pleased with. Uh, it grows and grows and grows. I have it on my front rail mm-hmm. across the front of the front porch, and I keep pruning it back. And my question is, how long can I prune it back? during growing season and still be assured of some blooms yeah. next spring. Yeah, about what time does it bloom? Is it early spring, mid spring, yes. late spring? Yes, it's early spring. Yeah. Well, you know, you can, it, it takes a while when you prune a plant for new growth to come out and it has to mature enough to get, you know, make it through the winter time, but it also has to in in spring bloomers it has to set flower buds too. So, I would say, you know, for the the areas where you want flowers to be on the next year, I wouldn't prune them past sometime in July. And that's just a wild, educated guess. But if you prune them in July, they have time for the new growth to come out mature and sit flower buds. And you can prune it past then, but those stems may not have time to make a flower bud. Right. Well... It just grows prolifically. It's sort of yeah. taken over, so that's well, why it'll I do that. Pruning it back. You know, you can prune selectively prune some of the stems back really, really far, and leave some unpruned. What I what I do, and I have a vine arbor in front of to get into my yard. I've got this huge arbor, this cover with rebar. It's like a tunnel of vines. And uh, what I do is sometime in the spring, I'll cut one or two main stems, and then wait and see what part up above there dies, and then I pull it out. Because it's easy to tell the brown stuff, you know, from the green. So, you know, I just thin some of, I just cut some of the, the, almost randomly, some of the stems back pretty hard in the spring and then some not quite so hard and then just thin out the the stuff that turns brown and and it works itself out. Good. Good advice. All right. Well, Ann, good luck. I hope you stay cool and hydrated because it is a weird fall. Indeed. 
Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. It is so hot and dry in my yard that I had Nandina's wilting. I've watered everything this past week. And I tell people I never water, okay? I tell people I don't water nothing. I don't water nothing. Well, okay, I watered this because it is dire out there. It's dire. Plants grew too much in the spring. It was really wet. It was really easy growing, lush, well into the summertime. So they put on extra growth because times were, were great. And all of a sudden it got shut off and it's dry, dry, dry and really hot. And plants are suffering. And uh, if you, you can prune or you can water or else you can think about spray painting them till you get around to replanting them. Anyway, let's go up to Greenwood and talk with Bill. Hey, Bill, thank you for calling. Oh, hey, Felder. Uh, you made me think of my mama when you said Wisconsin, and every time she would hear someone say it from Minnesota, she mm. always said Minnesota. Yeah, M- Minnesota and Wisconsin. What's and, they, and, and, you know, that, 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 the Yankees make fun of the way we talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's all good. It's all good. What, what's, what's going on in your garden today? Well, everything in my yard is dead. We haven't had no rain for a month, and I haven't been paying much attention. But I, I looked down there the other day. You know, I saw a three-foot-tall, beautiful blooming plant. I think it's a partridge pea, and there's no partridge peas anywhere around us. And what I want to know is how did it get any water to even germinate? It must be a tough plant because, you know, yeah, well. You know, there's all sorts of ways where, where native plants, even some with really big seeds, get spread uh, pretty far and wide. Sometimes they're eaten by birds and spread that way if, they, if the seed doesn't get completely digested. And uh, that's a pretty common way for the, for the plants with big seeds. A lot of stuff, of course, are real small. They get windblown. A thunderstorm can carry seeds for miles and miles and miles, uh, a big well, thunderstorm. But, I know that. I mean, everything else in my yard is dead. Even my black-eyed seasons are drying up. <laughs> well, there's, you know, there's a lot of plants out there that are, that are designed for this. You know, we're seeing, I work real close with the folks in Texas and Oklahoma, uh, the, the extension service there, and a lot of the plants that they are native to there are actually growing quite well over here now that we're having a little bit hotter, drier falls. So, you know, things change. You know, they change sometimes over 10,000 years. Sometimes they change in 150 years, but... Things change. So anyway, what I do is at the end of the season, I look at what's still out there, and that's what I want to plant more of next year. Okay. Well, is that a wildflower? Yes. 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 Yes, it is. It's in the pea fan. So anyway, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Stay cool, Felder. (laughs) Okay. And by the way, folks, when I was watering, I had this peculiar smell. And, And as a lot of people have thought about this or some people they experience they don't think about it but you know how some people say they can smell a rain coming they can smell a rain coming well there's a reason for that there's a type of sort of like a bacteria i don't know if it's a bacteria or fungus uh in the soil that that feeds on organic matter and it gives off this oil called geosmin i'm not making this up geosmin geosmin uh and it's this oil and and when it's really hot and dry, if a raindrop hits the soil, it splashes some of this geosmin up in the air, it volatilizes, and you can smell it. It's called petrichor. Petrichor is the smell of dirt. It's what catfish meat smells like. It's what mushrooms smell like. It's what, uh, when you water on a dry day, when a, front, when a cold front moves in, 
there's a lower uh, the, the the low t- the low pressure degasses the soil. Low pressure will pull air out of the soil, and it brings up the petrichor, which is a smell of geosmin. Isn't that a stu- Java? That's some stupid stuff to know, but there it is. So you can smell dirt. You can smell a rain because of this stuff called geosmin. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, to Union. Talk with Jason. Hey, Jason, thank you for calling. Hey, how are you? Fine. What's going on? Uh, well, I've I've had trouble with fleas this year, and I've put out three different kinds of uh, things to get rid of, and uh-huh. haven't had much luck with them. Well, you you may have actually had luck with all three because flea larvae are not hard to kill. Uh, here's the deal, though: fleas they have that same life cycle as butterflies: the egg, the you know the little larvae, then a cocoon, and then the adult. Well, the larvae are like tiny little worms, little, little grub-looking things, and they eat decaying organic matter, br- dead grass, uh, dust, stuff like that. And if you spray or put a, a, a granule out there, it'll kill the larvae, and that'll keep them going in a cocoon. But meanwhile, there's more eggs that'll hatch out next week, or there's cocoons that have adults in them. And you can't kill that. And they split open and an adult comes out. So the the key with fleas is to be thorough and repeat it. Uh, do two or three treatments a week or so apart to sort of hit all four, all the two of the life cycles that are exposed. In other words, you can kill all the larvae out there, but you can have a few adults pop out from cocoons for a few days later. And it seems like you didn't do any good at all. Does that make sense? Does. Do you have any recommendations to, to put out? Well, you know, yes and no. I, you know, I'm loath to recommend a lot of pesticides to gardens because what kills these things also kills worms and spiders and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, one, you know, we get your head wrapped around that. Anything that you mix with water, it doesn't ain't much at all, but the water is the key. The water carries it to where they are. So if you're going to use something you mix with water, you don't have to mix it strong. Just use a lot of the water to get it down into the you know to the top of the grass, down into the thatch where the larvae are. Uh, some some of the granules will work fine, but it's random whether one of those larvae will bump into a granule or not. So liquids are going to give you better control, better coverage, better control. But and uh, again, anything that they recommend is going to work. The trick is be thorough and repeat it a couple of three times. All right, thank you very much. Okay, it ain't any fun. It ain't any fun, but, you know, there it is. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Jason. Good luck. Hang in there, too. Boy, I've got a, a, one of the things that I would really encourage people to keep in mind right now. Butterflies and birds and squirrels right now, they need water. They need water seriously. Uh, and if you can, if you can uh, take a, a garbage can lid, turn it upside down, fill it with water. Put it out there near some trees where the squirrels can get it, the birds will get it. But uh, if you'll put any kind of shallow water out there, it'll help wildlife more than you can imagine. If you're worried about uh, about mosquitoes, every couple of days just dump it out on some flowers and fill it back up again. Mosquitoes aren't going to reproduce in two or three days. So, so anyway, put some water out there. Put it where the animals can see it. And if you want to really attract them, get you a milk jug or a cola bottle Put the tiniest little hole you can imagine in the bottom, just the teensiest little hole, fill it with water, suspend it up above your 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 water feature, and crank back on the lid, the, the cap, just a little bit so it drips. 
You know, every few seconds, a drip. That little dripping will attract wildlife. Uh, they can see it for like three blocks away. But having a little slow drip, again, a tiny hole in a suspended uh, uh, bottle of water with the with the top of it cranked back just enough to where it drips instead of flows, it really makes a big difference. Uh, the, the birds, the butterflies, the squirrels, wildlife, they're really thirsty out there. We can help a lot. Now let's go to uh, Joe and talk to uh, uh, in Brookhaven. Hey, Joe, what's up? How's it going, Phil? So far, so good. Okay, the man with the fleas. I used to raise beagles. Yeah. And I had flea frogs. Yep. So I worked in Alabama one time for a couple of weeks, and not Alabama, Arkansas, and I ran up on a kennel. Uh-huh. And I on that. Man, how do you keep the fleas down? And he said, with salt. Salt. You, know, you go to buy with the, for your cows. Uh-huh. He said, just take it and throw it out around, and fleas, if it's salt, is white. Fleas' first favorite color is white. And he what? said, those fleas will eat that salt until they bust. Huh. And then they kill the larvae, too. Wow. I, you know, it I can see that. The, and it don't hurt the grass. Yeah, if you, if you know, yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, I can see how salt, which is sodium chloride, I can see how that, that might affect insects that either come in contact with it. And I don't know. I, I haven't. But, I mean, I haven't seen research on it, but I'm a big believer in vernacular research. If he said it works and he had a kennel, you know, we're going to give that one a try. And, um, yeah, I mean, you could, my, my yard would have fleas because we had beagles. Uh-huh. And you throw the salt out, come back an hour or two, they gone. Wow. Uh, well, it's, you know. white piece of towel out there, no fleas. Huh. I'll be darned. It's, hey, it's, it's all worth a try. It's worth a try. Yeah, I mean, what's a $5 bag of salt? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Even if they get in your house, we use the salt in the house. When they get in the house. You know, you you could probably mix up just a little bit of salt in some water and go around and spritz it. You know, just enough, not to have salt everywhere, but just enough to, to put the salt down there. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting approach. Interesting approach. Yeah. I'm going to check into that, Joe. All right. Appreciate right. it, man. Thank you. Ooh, G. Osmond, Petrichor, put salt out for squirrels. Have not heard that. Hey, we've got time to, to squeeze in some callers, and we've got some lines open. If you want to give us a call, toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. If you had trouble getting in earlier today, got the lines wide open. We've got plenty of time to talk about stuff. We'd like to uh, to also mention that um, it's going to be hot and, and humid for the next few days, but with State Fair coming up, you know, might cool off. Um, this is going to be a uh, plant sale at Wells Fest on Lakeland Drive near the Agriculture Museum in Jackson Saturday. I'm going to swing by and see Loy Moncrief. Tell him I said, hey, if if I'm not there. Uh, also, Sunday is the German Fest at Gluckstadt. If you like uh, Wiener Schnitzel and, um, and good German music, that'll be fun. Next weekend, next Saturday, I'm going to be giving a presentation from 9 until 11. I'm going to start about 9. Uh, be over before 11 at the Max downtown Meridian. It's going to be a lot of fun. I lay it on thick when it comes to container gardens. Matter of fact, I've got a container that, uh, Java, you said you might be able to post some pictures of this. You know, I grow stuff in the back of my pickup truck, right? And last week I brought the my little miniature pickup truck, and it had nothing but dirt in the back. 
just potting soil. I took a picture of it by an MPB microphone, and then I went out and I got me some little succulents. I made me a tiny little bottle tree with some blue beads. I got all sorts of hardy succulents that'll take heat, drought. They'll take 10 below zero. But I got a little little collection of of uh, succulents, little sedums and hens and chicks and things like all different kinds, and a little bottle tree in the back of my pickup truck. You want to see a picture of that, go to the MPB website. I, I'm not sure. Just go to... Well, we when we post the podcast, um, that's where I'm a I'm a, I'm a post okay. it up. Yes. So uh, check out the the, the uh, Gestalt Garden podcast after a while, and I got pictures before and after a little. Uh, so anyway, I'm gonna be talking about container gardening, not your traditional stuff, some fun stuff. Nine to eleven next Saturday at the Max and Meridian. As soon as that's over, and bring a little plant if you want to do an informal plant swap. We're gonna slide over and see what the Master Gardeners got to, for sale at their plant sale. Right next door. Hey, let's uh, let's talk to uh, Jane, who's calling from. I don't know where you're from, Jane. Where you where are you calling from, Jane? Jackson. Jackson. Okay, howdy. What's up? I was just wondering. You were talking about the heat right now, and um, it's, you know we're heading into fall. Yep. What kind of herbs would you recommend planting right now? Oh well, you know, and I I grow a lot myself. I grow them all the time. Um, you know, you can plant rosemary and oregano and chives. And, you know, anytime they grow right through the wintertime and there's plenty of time for them to put lots of growth on. So you have more to harvest over the wintertime. But those are perennials. Too late for basil. Uh, but you can plant garlic uh, in, in October. And garlic you plant in Octo- in containers even and harvest it in the spring. Uh, also, parsley. Parsley is a plant that grows better over the winter than does over the summer. It'll make a basketball size of the most beautiful emerald green foliage you can imagine. But uh, any of the perennials, rosemary, oregano, uh, chives, garlic chives, you can plant garlic, but uh, parsley in particular. What about um, cilantro? Uh, cilantro really is uh, is a, a, a summertime stuff. It grows real fast. Uh, matter of fact, uh, most people who grow cilantro plant two or three times because once it once it goes to seed, which is coriander, by the way, uh, it, it doesn't live a long time. So cilantro is more. You might have time to grow some if you can get some cilantro seeds. If we have a, a, a long, uh, warm fall, you might have ch- time to get a little cilantro. It wouldn't right, hurt. Wouldn't hurt you. to try. Okay, appreciate it, Jane. Thank you. Okay. By the way, I brought in a weed today. It's called mimosa weed. Looks like a little mimosa tree. It got tiny little balls, seed balls under the the long stems. The prettiest, teensiest little white flower you've ever seen. But this is a terrible weed. We don't have anything that'll kill it. That won't kill everything else. And then it comes back from seeds. So. I know some of y'all have trouble with it. From time to time, I see one pop up in my yard. I gently pull it up, roots and all, without shaking any seeds off. I take it out and drop it on the curb and send it down the Pearl River to the Gulf of Mexico because there's not much we can do. My most weed is a tough one. We have some really hard-to-control weeds that's just sort of part of um, it's just part of gardening, I guess. I pull stuff and I mulch. And that works. If there was an easier way, I would do it. Hey, we're going to be talking about gardening every Friday and rebroadcast on Saturday here on MPB. Uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, me and Java Chapman, our call screener today was the esteemed, esteemed uh, Kevin Farrell. 
<laughs> and I'm going to be at the State Fair next week with some plants. I'm going to be at the Gluckstadt at the, at the festival, the German festival. I'm going to go down to Wells Fest and give me an heirloom plant. I'm going to see some of y'all in Meridian next week. But meanwhile, take a kid to a farmer's market. Take a kid to a to a garden center. Get them a sack of bulbs. Show them how to do what we do best. It's important to teach kids how to savor life. And there's no better way to savor life than a little pot of something they grew themselves. Show them how to get dirty. See y'all next week.